Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Awesome. 
Well, so in your in your biography, I mentioned a little bit that you came from a showbiz family. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, growing up in the film business and uh, and what that was like? Yeah, we. Uh, I grew up. My father was uh, a production guy in New York City, locations and production management. And uh, yeah, it was always pretty interesting. I PA'd on my first job uh, the summer before I went to high school. It was a film called The Hard Way, with Michael J. Fox and James Woods. And uh, I spent the whole summer in New York City PAing, and we did a lot of overnights. Uh, and Rob Cohen was the director. We were on the stunt unit. It was a pretty big Universal picture. And uh, at that point, I just kind of fell in love with the the whole atmosphere and the and the business. And from there on out, I PA'd every summer until I went to the college. And then uh, when I went to college, I thought maybe I didn't want to get into the movie business, so I went. I studied history and pre-law. And as soon as I got out, I found myself location scouting and. Uh, from there on, I haven't really stopped working uh, in this industry. Wow, wow. And so um, you said location scouting. Uh, a lot of people get into the industry in, in many ways. They do an internship, they PA, they do something. Uh, can you tell us uh, about location scouting and what that entails uh, for those people who may not know and then and then how you, how you progressed? Well, definitely. Uh, location scouting, um, it's a pretty great job. Location is uh, a... You know, really challenging department to be in for many reasons, and we can go through that. But uh, the scouting is kind of the initial step into that world. Uh, uh, you know, a couple of people. You know, there's a couple of different routes to. You know, I always wanted to get into producing, so there's a couple of different w- avenues to go to to get to that place. Locations not being the most frequent, but one to go through. Someone mentioned to me that that was probably the best department to get into, uh, so you can be involved in all aspects of the film. And uh, the interesting part about location scouting is, you know, especially as a young guy out of college, you know, you're really involved in in the scripts and the creative aspects of the project. So we would, you know, you read the script, and then you have a location manager, and you get to, you know, you get FaceTime with the director and the production designer because they, you know, they're telling you what they're interpreting the different locations, i.e. the house or apartment or restaurant. And so you, you kind of go, and it's pretty interesting in New York City, and I'm sure everywhere else where, you know, you you have to really know the place that you're you're scouting, and um, you go around. And, and back when I started, which you know was 12 years ago, you we were shooting on film, and we would go and take multiple pictures of these locations, and go back to there was a lab in New York called Harry's down on Sixth Avenue and Canal Street, and we would go and all those scouts would meet there around three o'clock in the afternoon, trade secrets, and we would have envelopes, and we'd put all the location photos on these folders. And then head back to the production office around 7 p.m. and do like a show and tell with the director and the um, production designer. So it's always, you know, it's a pretty, it was a pretty interesting way to get into the business because you could see how the machine worked from the inside out and kind of, you know, get a feel of what everybody was thinking. That that is fascinating. Um, I think one of the differences that uh, exists between the larger, you know, union movies or even larger non-union movies, and those that are uh, low budget and independent in, in nature, or even micro budget, is the fact that in the lower budget films, more people wear many hats, and so some of the positions are not well articulated. They're, you know, one person doing three or four different things. Um, but in your case, I mean, you, you got you got to be brought up uh, from the beginning, you know, meeting different department heads. I assume in different, like, like as you described, in different, and, and, you know, and, and learning the different roles and positions um, that are part of a professional movie company. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my, 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 the, the films that I've worked on have kind of been a winding road because it's, it, I've been exposed. You know, when I first started, it was more, you know, the, the what they call majors films. You know, you know, over twenty million dollar projects when I was scouting. And uh, and you know an assistant location manager um, and you know every time that you every time I'd want to take a jump up into a new position it would kind of start the clock again and I'd have to go back down more into the indie world and then work your way back up again uh, in that position so I've been able to see the the kind of the entire landscape you know in, in a lot of different ways but yeah the the positions are all kind of defined in, at the different levels in different ways if that makes sense um, but you know it's it is becoming more and more uniform as as of uh, as the years have been going on. The indie world is becoming, in some respects, you know, just it, the model is falling more into the into the majors world now at this point. Um, 
positions are getting a little more defined. And so you are seeing more of that. I mean, it, 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 let me let me just stop and kind of ask you right there because this is a this is a good point. Um, because you've seen so much over the years, um, what do you think about the state of the industry today and and how it's changing for pro or con or and both? Um, I mean, it's it's a, a pro and a con, I guess, is that it's it's becoming so much more accessible to so many different types of uh, filmmakers, which is great. Um, and I think that that being the case is that the the, the model of of what a you know a major film would have is kind of what everybody uses at this point, because that's what they're teaching students in film school and so on and so forth and and the indie model that kind of came out of you know the east coast scene you know 10 years ago 15 years ago you know with the you know the beginning of sundance and that model of just kind of everybody rolling their sleeves up and getting into it is kind of disappearing a little bit um for a number of reasons one there's just i guess because of the economy over the last 10 years and the spike during the bush years there's just a ton of money was infused into the independent film world. So a film opposed to like a film like a real indie, like something like In the Bedroom, where you just shoot it in a, you know in a house, you have a very small crew, you're able to achieve it. We're now doing major car crashes in independent films under five million dollars. We're doing you know we have big time actors like Pierce Brosnan, Jennifer Connelly in these films, and it's the. The structure is just bigger, so the the machine needs to be bigger to handle that. Um, so there is a little bit of a push and underswell in New York to get back to the independent, the real indie, you know, world of under two million. But there is, you know, there is a small, you know, there are also unions to contend with, which aren't the worst thing in the world. But um, it's really tough to put together a crew, a non-union crew, for a film that's over a million dollars in a lot of these hot location spots now, i.e. New York, California, Louisiana, and somewhat Michigan at this point as well. Uh, that, is, that, is, that is fascinating. Let me um, uh, then ask a kind of political question, and, and we'll talk more about the, the different states that you mentioned. But what about incentives? Well, you know, uh, pro, con? Plus, well, definitely. I mean, it's definitely pro. It's kind of driven my career over the last five years. Um, you know, I've I've shot in every hot incentive state besides Louisiana, um, just due to different investors and producers wanting to capitalize and and help make their projects happen in these different states. You know, we we were down in Florida when I was working for Plum Pictures. We did a film called Bark Out a Room. Uh, for Plum, we did a film. Um, a Matthew Perry film in Connecticut that was an incentive-driven budget. Um, all of our New York stuff, you know, is always you know in, in incentive incorporated. And then I've done uh, four projects in Michigan, which we've worked very closely with the film office here. So it's been really good, um, especially in Michigan, where the crew base has been built up very strong. You know, people that we were working with on Vanishing on Seventh Street, Brad Anderson's film two and a half years ago that were, you know, either like a loader in the camera department or a PA on set or now script supervisors, a, you know, a camera first ACs. So it's really, uh, the incentive, the film incentive, although it's, you know, kind of wobbly here has been really helpful to the, you know, to the film community here. And it's really had a good impact on, on teaching a lot of people on how to, uh, how the business works. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, a lot of people, my listeners, know that I'm I'm very pro incentives, and that that uh, you know, having been in this uh, business for some time, you know, we watched uh, movies you know fly over the border or fly out of the border of California, you know, into other states that did have incentives. I mean, years ago, I mean, in the 70s, and uh, people always look for a discount, and and producers, production corporations, anywhere go where it's most economically feasible to make their product. You know, Wisconsin, where I'm spending now some of my life, is uh, it has been very hostile, essentially, to the, the film incentives. They don't quite understand uh, an, a multiplier effect. They don't understand seemingly the ability to uh, take people and actually have them have successful careers, and, you know, and to work their way up through the business. They don't understand the, I guess, the nomadic nature of of it in the same way that a construction industry has jobs and you move from job to job. I mean, it, it's amazing. And it seems that a lot of the country right now, you know, uh, uh, people are rethinking incentives and it just seems 
to me, very sad and, and a shame because what you just said, what Michigan has done uh, to their for their people, their workers, for their state, uh, and, and to build a business and to be able to build up an infrastructure and have an industry that they did not have prior. Uh, it seems like a no-brainer to me. Yeah, it's it's really you know it's it's it will be a sh- you know I know there's a, a a really you know a really great fight going on here, but you know um, just a perfect example a person uh, our script supervisor on the last film who was a PA on a friend of mine's film here you know two years ago and she was a script supervisor on our project and she was great and that's you know one position that we can hire locally that we don't have to fly in from New York or LA. And it's just, you know, there's just so many of those, I can't, countless stories, you know, and positions that we've filled that way. So it's, it really, incentives really help in so many different ways. Well, I think what people don't understand right up front is that obviously you have to key up, you know, with, with the professionals that you're used to and the ones that you work with and the ones who've done it before, but that people, as you just mentioned, can, can start at an entry-level position and relatively quickly you know, move into uh, other departments and and move up the uh, I guess the filmmaking ladder and and find careers where you know if you're coming back now you can hire locally and you don't have to key up or fly in from somewhere else. So I mean that that building of an infrastructure within a state. Uh, can I ask you this? Depending on and and you don't have to answer one way or the other, I guess. But but depending on the economic climate, are you are you planning on shooting in Michigan again anytime soon? Or are you moving elsewhere, or where would you well, be going? No, we're you know always always planning on you know there's always something percolating in Michigan for us because uh, my team and myself, uh, you know Susan Parsons and, and Gavin Bierman and myself, you know we've we've been here a lot and uh, you know there's always there's always uh, there's always you know future projects ahead and you know you know on this last project we've you know working with a lot of people that are in state this last film that we did. It's basically a Michigan film. The director went to U of M, born and raised in Ann Arbor, and he directed, you know, a approximately five million dollar film with, you know, some some studio talent in it. And uh, his producing partner was, you know, went to school with him. Writers Jim Bernstein and Gary Shift were also from uh, from, you know, Jim's still at the university as a professor, and Garrett's, you know, from from Michigan, you know, from the university climate. And Sim Pat Olson, our investor and our producer. One of our one of two lead producers is also a local Michigan U of M grad and businessman out of Plymouth, Michigan. So there there really is a, a base here. So yes, there there definitely is you know some prospects, but you know it's all really depending on where the government goes with uh, with this incentive here to state government. Well, that's really that's really awesome. Uh, let me let me return to. Uh, uh, your your personal rise. I mean, as location scout and then location uh, uh, manager, and and um, and then into uh, you know into producing and unit production management, line producing, and now you're executive producing as well, and and you've co-produced other pictures. Um, you were in my favorite series, uh, one of my favorite series, uh, and Peter Tolan is a fabulous friend and filmmaker, TV you know content maker, and, and a funny guy. Uh, on rescue me uh, can you can you fill us in about location what what a location manager does as opposed to a location scout and and how you made that bump you know it's kind of just a transition from scouting to uh, assistant location manager to location manager um, again you know doing the bigger films and then getting offered a smaller film as a higher position taking it and then working your way back up to you know you know different budget levels um the location manager is uh it's probably one of i view it as one of the hardest jobs on set uh it's one of the it's it's one of the most non glorious jobs that you can have but it's such a crucial job for for the production to run smoothly um because basically it's it's like almost being a a producer of the film in your own right because you have to deal with every single department you know the electrics need some cable through a back door of a restaurant, you have to deal with that. Your grips need to put, you know, some silks up on a roof, to, you know, for the, for a fly swatter to block the sun. You have to deal with that. Camera needs a place to charge your batteries. You have to deal with that. You also have to deal with the location. You have to deal with the ever-changing climate of a production schedule, which changes every day. You know, that's a, a moving target at all points. 
So you have to kind of have all the all your balls up in the air and be able to juggle everything. So it's it's a it's a challenging job, but it's a, it's a good a good experience to learn how to deal with all the different departments and figure out really what's going on. And you know you're on set for a good part of it, so you kind of see how the machine works. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, I, you know, and there's a lot of paperwork and contracts and yeah. Things. I mean that's 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 where yeah exactly. I mean that's where you. You're almost your own producer or your own independent entity island at that point because you're dealing with all the. I mean, you have a, you have your, a substantial budget that you're managing, which is key. Um, you know, you have a lot of different moving pieces going on. Exactly, you have you know contracts with all your different locations. So, it's 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 like a it's a very important position. And you know, nobody remembers when everything goes right, but as soon as you know that door's not open for a pre-call three hours before right. a shooting call, then everybody you know. Wondering what's going on. Wow, and and I think another important thing that you said is that you do, you know, you are like your own producer is is probably a, a, as you described it a, a fabulous way to understand the ins and outs and and the requirements of filmmaking and the pressures and to work with all these different departments and 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 to make your inroad in. So for those people, you know, who can, you know, who maybe never entertained it before. Uh, but especially nationwide or, or even internationally here listening right now, you know, if you can get on as a vacation scout and, and work your way in, as uh, Peter has mentioned, uh, sounds like a, a, a fabulous way to, uh, to getting a pretty quick understanding of, of requirements. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this, Peter. So then from, from there, uh, well, let, let me ask you about Garden State because everybody, you know, asked me to ask you about Garden State, and uh, because uh, Zach Graff has a great following, and and people love him, and they love him from Scrubs. So, um, uh, let me let me. Uh, what was Garden State like? Are we and, and a cute movie, great little movie. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was great. It was a great. It was it changed basically my career. Um, it's a great opportunity. Uh, I got a phone call one morning, and uh, I never even met any of the people involved with that project, and they were looking for a location manager. I was the assistant manager on that project, and uh, went in, interviewed, got the job, had no idea what I was getting into, and uh, it was really kind of a big jump for me in, in my career, and it turned out to be a really great project. made a lot of really great connections, but... The, the best part about it was actually watching, you know, Zach work. I mean, he was in every scene of the film, but he was also directing it. And, uh, you know, we had a challenge. We only had about two and a half million to make the film. It was, you know, it was, uh, you know, we were really, you know, pushing the envelope at all points. And uh, everything was handled cool, calm, and collectively at all points. We had a great, great uh, producing core on that film as well. And, uh you know, great production manager. So everything was kind of handled very coolly, and I think that that really resonated with me about you know how a production should be managed. And um, you know, it just you know we had our challenges, but everything was dealt with, and the end product turned out to be great. And uh, you know, Zach was really uh, really a good director as well as, uh, as as well as a fine actor. Well, that's awesome, Peter. Let me ask you this about what you just said regarding Garden State. Uh, I think because so much of the movie making that's happening, um, apart from the you know, professional industrial side, is, is the consumer level filmmaking. Um, the, uh, you know, and somebody's trying to get $10,000 for a movie or $1,000 or $30,000 or $500,000 for a movie, that kind of thing. Under a million, we were talking before, where you said, you know, it's harder to do a non-union movie the, the higher the budget gets up. Um, from your position as, an, as as a producer, executive producer, where does two and a half million dollars go on a production like Garden State? Where, 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 when you talk about, you know, we had challenges because we only had two and a half million dollars. Where does where does the bulk of the money get spent in in, try, in trying to get it up on the screen so that people? Well, I mean, it, it depends on it depends on your producers and and their, their uh, director and you know, I guess. For most, some of your listeners who know how this works, I mean, basically, we it can go either way. Like Garden State, you know, I wasn't privy to seeing the master budget on that, the main production budget, but uh, I have a very strong feeling because we were in New York, we were a union show, we had you know Teamsters, you know, full board, you know, all the trailers, everything. Um, I imagine that you know 
the fees up on the on the ATL, the above the line, were not that high. Uh-huh. And, you know, the trick is to throw everything onto the screen, which means putting all the money into. You have to pay the crew. You have to pay. You have to pay, you know, for the right equipment. And then, you know, you have to have the right amount of crew members to pull off each scene and the right amount of extras, right amount of art direction, right, you know, right locations. That all obviously costs money. So the the more people are doing the project for a labor of love above the line, i.e. the director, producers, writer, uh, and, and they're doing it as a labor of love and not just to cash in a paycheck, their fees are smaller, which then helps put the full $2.5 million onto the screen, which then becomes a kind of a, a bigger, a sizable amount. You know, um, you know, you could, at some points, you, you know, sometimes people just make these, you know, they're just making the movie just to make some money, and then there's 50% of the above the line is going, or 50% of the budget is going to above the line, and then your below the line, all your production costs, become, you know, it just becomes more and more challenging. So the the key is, you know, if you're getting involved in that kind of thing is to understand that, you know, you're making the film because you want to make it and not just because it's a, a money-making endeavor and that's the way you, you know, you maximize your dollar. Well, that is excellent. That is, I really appreciate that. Uh, Peter, we're at that point where we're going to take a short break and I'm going to uh, mention upcoming guests and uh, so we'll be right back in just a second. You're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. The official website is rexsikes.com. All of the live interviews can be listened right there from the interviews blog as well as archived interviews stored there on the website. Uh, you go into the biography page of each and every guest and there's a link that you click on and that will take you either to the live show or the recorded show. All of these are also scored as podcasts at iTunes that you can download to your favorite electronic device. Also, we appreciate it when you leave comments after the show. Gaffer Girls in the, in, the, in, the, in the guest room figured this out the other day, that after the player disappears, you can leave comments. So please do leave comments after each show about my guest and about the show and what you thought or what you learned. And, and do share it with other people. You can tweet live. You can tweet before the show and afterwards as well and share it on your walls and others in Facebook. But use your favorite social means to help us spread the word and to reach more people. Always rate and review and, uh, and uh, enjoy each of these interviews. My upcoming guest, tomorrow will be Peter Marshall, director. He's doing our director series. We're at part seven. You don't have to listen to them in order, although it does help, but if you're listening for the first time, listen live and enjoy the show and then go back and listen to others. Uh, coming back then is Jack Perez. You know, we're talking a lot about getting, uh, filling your frame and motivated camera movement. He's a director of Some Guy Who Kills People and we'll be back with him next Tuesday. Wednesday is Joe Biagio. They are reality television uh, producers of uh, The Scream Queens and a new show called uh, Dying to Do Letterman. Drew Rosas is a Wisconsin filmmaker currently living and pursuing a career in Los Angeles, but he's back here making a feature film, and we're going to talk with him. Gary Marsh created the Breakdown Services. He'll be joining us. He's also responsible for Actors Access, and there are so many more people coming up, so stay tuned to uh, Movie Beat at RexSykes.com and continue to spread the word, and we're back with uh, Mr. Peter Pastorelli. Wow, Peter. Well, uh, that's that's really cool, so let's, let's, let's uh, jump again. From um, uh, you went from location manager, and we discussed that. Into where did you go next? Um, after that, I I got the opportunity to work with a company called Plum Pictures, um, mm-hmm. who I became very close friends with the producing core there, um, and such has such you know kind of disbanded, and and they're you know all the partners are now at different companies, um, you know who I'm still working with uh, at this point, but. You know, basically, I went into Plum and kind of they gave me my break as a production supervisor on Justin Thoreau's uh, film Dedication, and um, we kind of went from there. And they were a small indie outlet in New York City. And we're putting about three movies out a year, and it just kind of helped me just build the resume up in the production management world. And then, you know, they were they gave me kind of my first breaks into the line producing producing world. So. You know, I got very fortunate with that that first gig dedication, and it kind of just got lucky and kind of worked with a company that, you know, although I wasn't a full-time employee, you know, we kept just doing more and more movies, and and uh, it was just, you know, a lot of bulk in a couple of years of a lot of hard work, and I was able to, you know, it's the same group of people, so, you know, we kind of had a system in place, and it really, you know, it was really advantageous for me to get that job, and, um, you know, we did a bunch of bunch of movies. Uh, we did one called New York I Love You, 
which was probably the hardest film I've ever worked on. Um, we had 13 different directors, from Brett Ratner to Shaker Kapoor, and they were coming wow. in every every three days. And we were doing all these uh, basically short films that were compilations of films to New York, you know, with every actor in the book, from Bradley Cooper to, I can't even remember, I mean, the list is so long. Natalie Portman directed one, was in one. Scarlett Johansson directed one. I mean, it was just, it was crazy, and we were just, it was a machine, and that was Plum Pictures, and that was like a $15 million film, wow. and that was, uh, learned a lot on that project, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> I bet, I bet. it was, uh, it was, you know, 50 days of, of grind, and, uh, of just, pre, of, you know, of, of production, so it was, it was, uh, it was the sequel to a film called Paris Jatem, same producing core out of France, so, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, after that, it basically, you know, learned a lot about production managing, um, managing crews on the majors level through, you know, indie through majors level. And uh, production managing, again, is also a very challenging job. Um, you know, you're on the ground. You're the direct conduit from the crew to the producers. And, uh, you know, it's very important to keep the crew, you know, that have yourself set up that, you can you can support the crew in a way that they need to. You know, obviously you can't do everything that they want all the time, but you can also just back yourself into a corner and not have the resources to give them things that haven't been anticipated on the tech scout. If that makes sense. Well, it does, and I think a lot of people don't. I mean, you know, especially the newer people don't understand that. You know, crew people will come and say, "Here's what we need, and here's what we want, and this is what's going on." You know, I think a lot of people think, well, you know, if I'm in the position, this is what I give them and they make do. Yeah, that's and sometimes a, a, that is the case. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fine line. You know, you have to be, you know, there's only, you have to, it's a lot of, it's a lot of judgment calls, you know, because you don't, if, if they, if they come and ask for the extra manpower, example, you know, the lighting, the, the best boy electric or the gaffer come and ask for an extra five guys for the day. And you just say no for the sake of saying no because it wasn't thought out previously. And then you're standing there and your 12-hour day that you've budgeted for turns into a 15-hour day because there's not enough guys to light the street, the exterior street that that you know you're you're shooting on. You have to weigh the cost against, you know, what what is that going to cost more than putting on an extra four guys for the 12 hours and not going into severe overtime? with the whole shooting crew. So there's a lot of variables. It's, you know, it's a lot of moving pieces. So you have to kind of always have an eye on the lay of the land and make sure that you're you're making the right choices because um, sometimes it's it's not the best re- answer. No is definitely not the best answer. So, Well, it, it, and another way of saying what you're saying that is that, that sometimes an answer uh, that you give that you think will save you money could cost you a whole lot more money in the long run. Yes, definitely. You know, because I, and I, and I think the other thing that, that you point out that's really important is the fact that your connection with the crew and keeping them happy. I, Peter Marshall, a, a wonderful director, first AD and, and friend of mine in Movie Beat, is you know I think is I, I won't quote his story absolutely correctly, but he said at one point I think he was directing a TV show or something, and there was it had something to do with it wasn't moving quickly enough, and and. Uh, one of the people said, okay, you know what speed we're at now? <laughs> I mean, you think that's slow? And check out what's going to happen next, you know, if this is pursued. And and he, Peter can come back on the show and, and, and do it. But, I mean, in other words, the crew, keeping the crew happy, I mean, it's it, you know, if you're you're working for 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 or 50 days with with people, I mean, keeping, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a communication job. Uh, yeah, it's vital, uh, and I, I can understand that, that story without hearing it, you know, from him. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's it's if you start treating the crew poorly, they're going to start just, just like anybody or anything. They're going to start treating you poorly. I mean, you're asking right. them to do a lot every day. It's hard work. You know, what business works? You know, twelve hours a day. You know, and that's the standard. You know, it's it's you know, then you have ten hours off, and twelve hours, you know, turns into once you travel home. You know, you're sleeping for seven hours, and you're also sleeping in a. You know, you're, you're everybody's on a little bit of the stress, stressed side during the production. So, you know, it's fatigue sets in a little bit at some point to a whole shooting crew, and you have to kind of be conscious of where you are. You know, it's like you know, on a five week shoot, week four, everyone's going to be burnt. You know, there's going to be a couple <laughs> of fights. 
in week four. You know, you wake up Monday, week four, like, all right, here we go. By week five, everybody sees the light, and and it, uh, you know, it gets better. But yeah, I mean, there's there's just certain patterns that you can follow, and if you if you keep an eye on them, you can kind of mitigate uh, mitigate the exhaustion. And then you got to kind of know that know gauge where everybody is. Well, and 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 sometimes it goes well, and and they are exhausted by week four. Sometimes it doesn't go so well, and they're, you know, at each other's throats by the end of week one. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's. Know. I mean, that's that you, exactly. If you don't have the the good first week, also is a killer because that just sets the tone for the rest of the show. Right. You know? Right. So can you articulate for us the the you know you know we have Deb Cat Pat's on issues uh, written I book a book that I really like you know production management one one she's been a guest she's a unit production manager she's moved into producing as well and she'll be back she did a fabulous interview with us and um, and uh, but can you articulate you know again the, the the like what's the fine line between line producer and UPM because I think some people um, I'm still trying to figure that out no I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And basically, um, you know, the line producer is more dealing with the BTL, the below the line, the day-to-day operations. Uh, I mean, the unit production manager is dealing with the BTL, the day-to-day operations, special equipment, additional manpower, that kind of stuff, in in conjunction with the line producer. They kind of have a plan. Um, the line producer, and you know, in my case, even as an executive producer, I'm also the line producer. You know, I'm I'm working with the director and the other producers to make sure that the scope of the day is staying intact, that we're getting the material, but we're getting it in the right, in a timely manner. Um, and so I'm basically managing the ATL as the production manager is managing the BTL. If that makes sense. Sure. You know, sure. on the day, so we kind of divvy it up. So I'm um, dealing with the day and the shot selection and the shot list, and and he's dealing, he or she is dealing with, uh, you know, the, the ins and outs of the production, the teamsters, you know, the vehicles that are coming in, equipment, lights, and manpower, that kind of thing. And and my with, favorite payroll. And what? And payroll. And payroll. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you you used the phrase, and would you would you define that more for all listeners? And that is the scope of the day. You're shooting for the scope of the day. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, basically, you you develop a budget. You go through pre-production for approximately eight weeks on the size projects that I work on. Um, and you know, we you know we have a, a 12-hour shooting day, and uh, we're just managing it hour by hour. Um, you know, to make sure that we're getting in there. Because you don't want to rush it, but you also you can't start losing stuff every day because then you don't have the project, especially on films of you know kind of the budget level I work on. There's not really going back, and there's not really an additional day. You know, we 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 leave locations, we're leaving the location. So it's really important to keep an eye on the day at all points, so you know decisions have to be made throughout the day. Do we drop this shot off the shot list? We have a shot list. You have. The list of the maybe the three necessary shots to get the scene, the master over over, and then you have additional shots which you want to get to to make sure that your you know the film is not just looking like a you know a pegboard of master over over master over over every scene. So you're kind of just always there, making sure that the right decisions are being made. Maybe this scene is not the most important scene in the film, and you can get away with that, so you can dedicate some more time in the day to the next scene. So that's kind of managing the scope of the day. Oh, fantastic! I, I'm going to share a personal thing, and that is that, that sometimes I get called up to to you know, somebody say, "Well, we want you as Yoda on the set. We want you to solve the problems." And and I argue all the time that if you want somebody to come in and solve the problems on the set, they should be there in pre-production to to understand, you know, where you are, what you're doing, what you're leaving out, what you you know what you intend to do, and what you might be missing, because it's a whole lot harder to fix something. Um, on the set after the fact, you know, or, or to be called in, a, a, you know, and and to try and undo a process that's been put in place. Um, and I recently had discussed with somebody who they were going out west to shoot a movie, and they're they're like, you know, we're going to go out west, we're going to do these things. And I said, you know, this is different from what you're used to. You're used to shooting at home, you know, where you have you can go back to the location because you're you don't you know you're not a thousand miles away. So you got to consider that you're going to do this in the fall, and there's less light, and and you're outside, and you know there are weather conditions that if you can't get something, you know, and you only have twenty days, twenty one days, or twenty four days to shoot it. You know what are you going to do? And and they just—it's amazing how I mean some people 
don't think this out. Yeah, I mean, pre-production is obviously, that's where you figure out where the tone is. You're working with the DP, the AD. You're in the scout van. You know, I go on all the location scouts. You're looking at things. You're looking at the challenges. I mean, elementary elements of it where you don't necessarily think it's a, a big deal, but it really is. You go to a location and say you're shooting in a hotel, and everybody wants to shoot on the 26th floor, but there's no real freight elevator. You have to be there and say, guys, we can't get up into this. We can't get all the equipment up there. We'll take six hours to get everything up and six hours to get everything down, so we don't have a shooting day. And sometimes if that stuff's overlooked, then you end up on the shoot day, and everybody's wondering why aren't you shooting after an hour or two hours. So, I mean, that's a pretty broad example, but that's the kind of stuff that needs to be managed very early on in, in the pre-production mode. Well, and you had said, you know, if you leave a location, you can't go back. I mean, you know, the kind of constraints that, that um I guess before you know productions, um, it's it, it's it's an incredibly complex world. It's amazing that anything ever gets done, and and but it does rely on on good people working hard and and pulling together and working as a team and having someone in you know in the capacity as you are you know to to oversee that and and work with everyone else. So so from line producing to co-producing or being creative producer, developing producer to executive producer. How do you how do you how do you describe the the I mean, we got we know the difference between working with the below the line and, and the above the line, but but how does how does each position change for you? Um I basically now that I'm in more of the, you know, what all those producing titles in my world, you know, there's there it, there is definitely some creative input, but uh, it's more of running the, you know, there would be a creative producer, and then I'm the the practical producer, uh, mm-hmm. running, you know, basically running the infrastructure of the machine of of the production, essentially, um, and and it's kind of across the board, you know, as the titles change a little bit, it's uh, basically always on the ground, you know, making sure that. The production is running smoothly. Um, as the different titles change, there's different creative implications where I have to, you know, have to put input in and some casting and and some uh, script decisions. But um, it's always I'm always more centered towards the the production in my job, I'm making sure it's very cool. Friendly. So, uh, and, and we're going to come back and revisit some of these these questions. But let me ask you, you know, we're going to have about fifteen. Minutes or so left to uh, this particular segment of the show, but but um, uh, and and I want to go back into all all of the different aspects of of producing that we can we can talk with about you. But but uh, can we talk a little bit about your last movie and and kind of some of the challenges you may have faced? This is a this is. I don't know that much about it, but I mean, you you contacted me at one point and you said you're doing some Vietnam scenes. Is this, is this a war picture or a after? War picture or something? Or? It, it's, it can't be categorized as a war picture. There, it, there's an element of the Vietnam War, which we shot in in the woods of uh, Michigan, which looks really fantastic. Um, that's where the film starts and ends. Um, but it's you know it's uh, it, it's you know it's it's more of a I guess you know I don't want to categorize it, but it, it's it's a story about two guys that. Are in the war and they come back during the week of the 1968 moon landing. Uh, they they, they kind of it's called AWOL and you know they um, they they uh, you know a guy gets a dear John letter and they come back and to Michigan the university and there's you know we we did uh, the we recreated the riots of '68 that actually took place here and oh, wow. you know there's a lot of different things that are going on with you know the world at that point and it kind of covers a lot of different aspects of it and. Uh, it's a pretty good film, a great young cast, and, uh, you know, we had, a, as I said, a local young guy, director Danny Mooney, and uh should be a good film, but, you know, we, again, it was one of those projects where we weren't ATL heavy, so we were able to, you know, put together something that's really good, you know, we had a great uh, director of photography, Teo Vandesan, you know, he did everything from Volcano to Blade to Wayne's World, he was with us, so it was a... Uh, we got a really good-looking film uh, for a very good price, and um, and uh, we got a lot of a lot of production values. Yeah, we had Vietnam in Michigan. We recreated the riots, and it was period to boot. So, uh, you know, it obviously had a lot of challenges, but it was uh, really exciting and, and fun to work on. 
Well, I'm only a state away. I should have come over and watched. <laughs> I, 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 I really wanted to. I forgot to, to, to ask, you know, when you're around, so I just drop in and stand on the set and look, take a look at what you're doing. Um, next time, next time. So I guess that begs the question. You, you, uh, anything you're moving on to that uh, you want to talk about? Well, there's a, you know, there's a couple of projects in the works. Um, and, uh, you, you know, there's, you know, going back to New York, I have some reshoots for a late quartet, the film I did in New York in the winter. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Christopher Walken film, uh, Catherine Keener. And uh, we got reshoots on that. And then there's some projects that are gearing up for later this year, possibly early next year. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of where we are at this point. Fantastic. So let me ask you, in your role as uh, executive producer and or, you know, practical producer, I mean, when, you, when you're working on, or, you, or co-producer, whatever, when you're brought onto a picture and uh, you're in pre-production and, you, you know, you, you're considering crew and you're considering cast, what are you looking for? I mean, what, what level of experience and, I mean, I mean, and, and are you using agents to hire crew? Uh, I mean, can I ask you if you use an agent to, to hire yourself out or if you, you know, how do people, in other words, how does the whole, uh, at, at the level that you work, how does the whole thing operate? How do people crew up and get... Uh, on the pictures, how would somebody become a PA on a picture that that you were doing or something like that? How does that all start? Well, I have an agent. I have an agent that's always out there trying to put projects together for us, for me and the team. And then, um, and then we definitely, when I go out to the HODs, the heads of departments, we're definitely going to uh, we're definitely going to agents. Um, like for this last film, for instance, we wanted a. Uh, you know, it was a period piece, so we didn't want to go over the top with the with the costumes department. So we looked at the different costumes and different films that we we liked that were in period as well. And the Notebook being one where it's not over the top, it's very muted. We went, we saw who the costume designer was. I called their agent, Karen Wagner. We made a deal, and we got Karen Wagner on board. Uh, she did, you know, that's kind of how, you know, we, we kind of look, we kind of vet people out, you know, through projects and, and sure. get in touch with their agents, see if we can make a deal. Um, it's also very important that they understand the scope of the project before they get on board. So we do a pretty intensive interviewing because we don't want someone coming on and thinking that there's $30 million when we don't have that, you know, so we have limited resources. So that's kind of the way to go. On the, the PA front, you know, in the intern front, it's kind of, Getting into the production office as an intern, you know, there's a lot of people we've carried from off PA uh, production office interns into, you know, people are, we keep seeing the same people coming back, you know, again and again. Um, you know, the, the the set PA is, you know, a, a, it's an actual, you know, really, you know, it's a, it's a job that you need qualifications for. So, you know, that the ADs have their list of people that they would like to use and. Uh, you know, it's not just about getting coffee. I mean, there's one PA does paperwork. You know, you have to know the nuances of the set. So, you know, it's it's a real job, and it's you know, it's pretty intense. Well, I, I'm of the uh, opinion that if you you know, well, any entry level position can be an entry level position, but that sometimes some of the most valuable people you actually have are your PAs. Yeah. Because I mean, they're either going to help you or they're not going to help you. And if they're not helping you, then they're just dead weight, you know. And and you know, you want somebody who knows what they're doing and are on top of things and and helpful. Um, so, uh, what trips your trigger? What do you really like to do? I mean, as you move, you know, up in your career and as as things change, you know, more in terms of developing or or you like being hired on or doing your own thing. What? Well, developing is great. I'm I'm very involved in the in the budgeting of the film, uh, and and in the management of the budget, and that's kind of where my main focus is. It's the financial aspect of it, and that directly plays into the day to day operations because that's how you that's where you're spending the money. Well, Ken, we we we've got you know maybe about eight minutes, and it does it's not going to give us time to talk much about it. But can we talk about the budget more? And mm -hmm. and for filmmakers at at whatever level, what what are some of the crucial aspects of budgeting? I mean, you've got you you've got you know you're above the line, 
And I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like years ago, more so than today, although maybe not true on tent poles and things like that, the above the line got way out of control. I mean, it, you know, it's where people were taking $20 million star salaries and things like that, and it really affected the money that was spent below the line. Are, are you seeing a return more to reason? Yeah, in, definitely. Uh, definitely. It's over the last five years, definitely. The, 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 the fees are coming way back down. Uh, across the board, you know, the above the the ATL numbers are usually a fixed figure. You know, by the time I get the budget, those deals are usually been in place. There's not too much negotiating, so I back those numbers out of whatever the budget number is, and then we have to go in and start, you know, dissecting the script is really the key. You know, figuring out locations, doing some research, figuring out the camera package, calling the vendors. You know, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of research, and you have to draw on your experience and figure out how many electric mandates you think you're going to need. If there's a ton of exteriors, you know you're going to have to go heavy on that department. You know, you have to kind of read the script and kind of read you know, through the lines and see where your different problem points are going to be and make sure that those lines in the budget are pumped up to, to protect you, you know, so you don't go over budget. So it's kind of like, you know, you use the script as the template to build the budget. And then you have to really stick to that, right? So, how, and and when you're line producing, and and the director says, "I want you know 15 cars in this particular scene," and you have to say no, and or you say yes. I mean, I, I think a lot of people think of a line producer as someone who says no, when in fact, no, it's I, more I of a give and take type says, of deal. You know, we right. we're all the decisions are made before we start rolling camera. You know, um, and you know we have the list of all the all the extra requests, and it's our responsibility to build some extra padding into the budget so we can facilitate some of them. But it's a give and take; it's a compromise between you know the creative and and what the you know the hard numbers are. Um, and you you can't just say no 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 all the time because then you're just not going to have a good film. You know that, that that's going to hurt the film, and you don't want to spend all this time and energy and effort into something and then have a bad film. So. You kind of have to build some pads, which are you know extra money in different accounts, and be able to give them you know try to give them fifty percent of the stuff that they're asking for, if not seventy five. It really, it really <laughs> is more about knowing when to say yes as opposed yeah, to just saying no. To saying no, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, um, uh, I said to you, you know, when we were talking before, you know, I said I think that one of the the most misunderstood roles. Especially in consumer, and I and I, I don't mean this in any pejorative sense to filmmakers, but it, but the fact that now that we all can make a movie in, in our backyard if we had to, or want to, um, that the role of producer is probably the most least understood and and maybe the least validated or appreciated. You know, you get the best picture award in the Academy Awards, but other than that, there's no producer. You know, best producer category. People don't really get it. I deal with a lot of. Uh, young filmmakers, and I always say it's not, I don't mean chronological age, I mean the experience level, and um, it seems that, uh, you know, somebody says, I'm going to make a movie, especially the person who decides they're going to direct their first feature, and and they end up having to produce it themselves. Um, The value, the benefit, and and again, we're going to have about four minutes for this answer, we're not going to do it justice. You have done so much already to illuminate the different aspects of filmmaking and and uh, the different hats that we've been discussing. Um, I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am, Peter. I'd love, you know, we talked about this earlier, but I'd love to have you back sometime when when your schedule permits to uh, continue and further our discussion. Definitely. Um, and so the listeners can can be aware of that and and watch for it and stay tuned and and we'll let them know when you're going to come back. But can you can you in in a nutshell kind of you know make the case you know this is why you need a producer and and I'm sure they already got the answer. But but uh, um, I I always try and tell people don't try and direct it and produce it yourself. Get a producer to work with you so that you can concentrate on getting the story on 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 film and and concentrating on the performances because if you're distracted with all the the monetary stuff and the crew stuff and everything else you're trying to wear all of these hats uh you, you know your your ambition and your goal and your dream as a director will suffer uh at least somewhat so i mean i producer, have to agree with that 100% you have to have a good you know ally with you to make sure that you're getting the creative but also keeping you as a director away from the day-to-day Michigas of production because it's not healthy for the director to be involved in that kind of thing. You know, just being the creative leader is a, a very important and, and 
you know, the most, probably the most important job on the set. And you don't, it's enough to do with that. You don't need to, you don't need to be dealing with the day-to-day operations. So you should definitely get somebody that you very, that you trust that understands the project a hundred percent and is with you and can watch your back essentially while you're out there working. So you're not stuck dealing with all that stuff. You can go home and go to sleep and not worry about payroll or whatever, you know, whatever elements of production are being dealt with by the producer. And also as a creative, you know, when those when those minute to minute decisions are being made, someone that you can trust creatively to know that if they say cut the shot or reduce the scene, they're not just doing it to make a day, but they're thinking about it and thinking about the story because when you're in the literally the heat of battle as a director, you don't have time to think ahead. You know, you need that person that's sitting on the sidelines knowing what's anticipating what's going on so they can present it to you and you can kind of understand where where you're going because you're just in that next I need to get this performance and then move to the next shot so you really need to have a trusted producer to really make it work I think well you said a couple of of just a couple words right there that are buzzwords uh, that I think are truly truly important words and the one is trusted and second was ally and I don't really think a lot of people think of it as an ally position you know somebody's got your back somebody who's watching out for you somebody who's trying to make sure that that your interest in getting what's up there is getting up there so that 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 they can you know uh assist you in that process i uh, I love the term ally i i think that was fantastic and and i and I oftentimes think that it's you know the Hollywood stereotypes of contention that exist between producers and and directors or producers and start you know all this kind of stuff is is the stuff that a lot of younger filmmakers think about and 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 the value of what you just said about uh enlisting a, a trusted ally is um I, well, I mean, well, look at Ron Howard and Grazer. You know, it's all these yeah. great directors have their producing partner with them all the time because they understand the, the difference in what it takes. Oh, that is awesome, Peter. That truly, truly is awesome advice. I, I, we've got like about a minute or so left. I just want to kind of give you the floor for anything that you'd like to wrap up, I, you know, or say, uh, or uh, talk about your company or a website or anything that you'd like to share uh, with our listeners. And then uh, listeners know that we'll have Peter back sometime soon. I have uh, just absolutely enjoyed having this conversation with you, and uh, and I look forward to the return. So uh, I, I turn it over to you here. Well, I just want to say thanks. Uh, I don't really have too much, you know. We've covered a lot, and um, you know, hopefully, you know, I look forward to our next conversation. And you know, things are going well, so I, you know, I really appreciate you having me on. Oh well, thank you so much, and uh, and uh, uh, best wishes with everything and with the new projects and the new development. I'll talk to you in just a couple of minutes, but uh, you've been a fabulous guest and, and a wealth of information. So uh, I, I truly, truly appreciate it. I, I wish you a great rest of the day. Are you you're in you're still in Michigan now? I'm in Ann Arbor. We have uh, another you know we'll be here for another couple of weeks, wrapping up the production, closing up accounting, that kind of stuff, and then back to New York. Wow. Well, if you get some free time, maybe I can make it over. Just drop in and say hi and have a cup of coffee. Definitely. <laughs> well, anyway, hey, have a great one, Peter. You have been uh, uh, just uh, truly fabulous to have on. Thank you. Thanks again, Rex. All right, man. Have a great day. That was my guest. Fascinating uh, and very active and uh, uh, just a, a great asset to any production, Mr. Peter Pastorelli. And I want to thank him for being here, and I want to thank you, the readers and listeners of Movie Beat. we got many more exciting guests coming up. Remember uh, to, to uh, stay tuned to Movie Beat, uh, and please keep sharing this website and all these interviews with your friends and your industry uh, contacts and connections. You can become a friend of the Rex Sykes Movie Beat Facebook uh page by clicking like on that page. You can follow us at Twitter. It's uh, Rex Sykes Movie BT. That's BT at uh, last word is abbreviated. And keep in mind that right now if you're listening live or if you're listening archived that there's a comment section somewhere there under the player. It may not be revealed until after the player is shut down or whatever. Um, uh, Gaffer Girls might be able to tell you if you're in the chat room how exactly that works because I don't know. But please do leave comments about my guests and my shows. Uh, please also um, uh, rate and review the podcast and do subscribe to the podcast. They, I mean, you, there's there's 230-some uh, interviews. They constantly are discussions. This is Rex X Movie, conversations with filmmakers, uh, professional filmmakers sharing their expertise and tips and suggestions uh, to you, 
the listener, the filmmaker, so that you can make your films uh, faster, easier, better, cheaper, you know, and, and advance your career. I've got actors, producers, directors, screenwriters, um, sound designers, cinematographers, location scouts and managers, um, and just a whole host. So the goal of Movie Beat is to have everyone from executive producer to craft service so that you can learn about each position and what they do on the set and uh, and uh, and uh, make make your dreams come true. So anyway, uh, follow us, friend us, like us, share us, and comment, and uh, and we'll have a great time because it's fun bringing you this stuff. I love I love uh, having the opportunity to discuss with so many of my friends and filmmakers um, these things, and I hope you appreciate it. Uh, not, and not so much that you appreciate it. I hope you use it. I hope you utilize the information to... Um, to make it happen, all right? And Gaffer Girl says that you got to wait until it's completely off the air, and then you can leave comments at the comment site. So once we say goodbye and the show ends, then you may leave your comments in case you're curious, all right? And, uh, and apparently that's true, whether it's live or archived. All righty, everybody. And everybody have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects. Until we meet the next time, that is a wrap. <laughs>